Well, men, it's a privilege to be here and to speak to you tonight. And I trust God's already said some great things to you. I didn't have the opportunity because I had the opportunity Thursday night to speak to a couple of hundred students at the University of Oklahoma, which I'll be doing for the next three Thursday nights. And then we'll go to Glorietta and speak to them three more times. So <clears throat> I'd appreciate your praying for that. It was great to hear from Steve Moore and what's going on at OSU, and I'm thrilled with that. And just want you to know, the Baptist Student Center just has a new disciple maker over there by the name of Mike Story. And Mike used to come to the conference, pastored for years, and pastored in Colorado for 17 years, and has just gone to OSU to be the new Baptist Student Director. So uh, I hope you men will pray for the college campuses. I mean, it's... Uh, a great opportunity out there to raise up laborers. I think Jim was talking about the laboratory of the, you know, the ships was a great laboratory for the navigators. Well, I think a great laboratory today is the university campuses and uh, where there are a lot of young men. Now, as we draw near to the close of this conference, I trust God's already said some things to you. If you heard John Repass last night, and you didn't get something out of that, you ought to get up and leave. Because I'm not sure I can help you. You know, my own heart was challenged. And when I think of that, man, you know, it's so easy to be deceived by coming to conferences and listening to messages. And James 1.22 says, you know, be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And you can be deceived because you can hear a message and think... Boy, that really helped me. But it's only as you do something about what you heard. And you know, every one of us here can have a quiet time on a daily basis. And you know, I just decided a number of years ago, I was planning to have a quiet time every day. And I try not to ever lay my head on a pillow at night, but what I've had some time in the Word. Now, you know, it may be someday you start early, and I know I've come in a few times at night and due to some... Maybe early morning meeting and busy day, and it may be 11, 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. Time to go to bed, and I think, well, I hadn't had a quiet time. And Satan says, well, you ought to go to bed. You're not going to get anything out of it. The only reason you'd be doing this is it's just legalism. You know what I say to him? You are a liar. <laughs> because that's exactly what he is. And so I stay up and spend some time with the Lord. Some of the best time I've ever had with the Lord was when I was too tired to meet with the Lord. And I would just challenge you. Make it a plan every day of your life. Now, you may miss rarely, but it ought to be a rare, rare exception that you do not spend time in the Word every day. And then, you know, to memorize verses. It's not all that complicated. If you'll just put them on a card... And you'll go over and over and over them for two months. You'll know that verse. And once you memorize it, today you can quote it word perfectly, say it another 35 times. The next morning you wake up, you won't even remember where it is. That's just par for the course. <laughs> go over it and go over it and go over it a couple of months and, and you can have it. And you know when it comes to disciple making, guys, it's not rocket science. You know, it's such a blessing to see what John did this morning. You know, I heard John say years ago, you know, when you meet with guys, there's two parts to your time. There's an informal time. That's when you build on the relationship. And you just say to the guys, how's it going? How's it with your wife? How's it with your job? 
And you just kind of talk to him. You listen to him. But then you have, if he doesn't have something he needs to talk about, you do. And you have something you want to impart to him. You don't just chit-chat, but I want to help this guy. And I love what John said. One of the reasons he goes over the verses. He thinks I'm just going over the verses, but I get a chance to preach them to him and preach my verses to him. And so, guys, I don't care who you are. All of us can be disciple makers. And all of us are supposed to be disciple makers. And men, you know, when I think of all that God does to try to help us, and I'm so grateful for Jim Downing. Jim, thanks for coming every year to help young guys like me and John Crawford. We really need that. And you know, one of the things, guys, about walking with the Lord is trying to be a lifelong learner. And every day we're... And I I would challenge you guys to read and, and learn and turn off the TV and do some things to learn and grow. I'm going to share some things with you tonight. Guys, we're facing a culture that we better learn something about or we're going to miss the next generation. And you know, I hope as you sit here tonight that your greatest desire, the greatest desire of your life is to bring the greatest honor and glory to your God that you can possibly bring before you go to be with the Lord. Now, every year this conference is a reminder of me that life is fast getting by. You know, I kept thinking in the last few days, you know, when I spoke, I'd like to have the picture flashed on the screen of Bob Potter and Roy Robertson and Jerry Strader. And so the other day I called uh, uh, Paul Purefoy and uh, he said, well, we were already planning to do that. And I thought, well, you know, God was in that. Just a reminder, here were guys that were with us and they're no longer in our presence, but they're in the presence of the Lord. And guys, that day is coming for all of us. We don't know when it is, but we're warned from the Scripture. James 4.14 said, What is your life? It's even as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You're here for a little time. Many of you remember Gene War, who attended this conference and spoke many times. <clears throat> One day Gene War reads Psalms 90 verse 10. And it really impressed him. And it says, As for the days of our life... They contain 70 years, and if by strength 80 years, yet their, their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we sang about it tonight, and we fly away. And Gene was impressed with that verse, and he read on to verse 12, and it says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And so Gene went out, figured out when his 70th birthday was, and he started counting back. One, two, three, back to the present day. And he had a little uh, success diary, a little pocket diary that he kept his schedule. So every day when he looked at that, he thought, if I live a normal life that the Bible said about 70 years, he knew exactly how many days he had left. And it just reminded him. Now, when he got to 70, he started numbering the other way and just took every day as a special blessing from the Lord. And Gene tried to make every day count and tried to use his time wisely, and I think he succeeded. Now, Psalms 
39.4 said, Lord, make me to know my end and to measure my days that I may know how fleeting my life is. And guys, if I could just impress upon you tonight a realization that your time is limited. And the fact that we know that our time on earth is limited should cause us to use that time that God gives us very wisely. And Ephesians 5.16 says, Make the most of the time because the days are evil. And in John 9.4, Jesus said, We must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. And so the day will come when our time on this earth is finished, and we will be gone. And a verse that's come to mean a great deal to me in recent days is Psalm 71, 17 and 18. And in that verse, it says, if I can get started on it, <clears throat> somebody help me. You get older, it's a little harder. Anybody know Psalm 71, 70, 17 and 18? Oh God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also, O God, when I am old and gray-headed, forsake me not until I have shown thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. So that's one thing I'm praying for my own life. So we must live intentionally focused on Christ and what he would have us to do. You know, Jesus, when he was on this earth, After he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days. And during that 40 days after his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples on a number of occasions. One of those occasions was in Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission. If you'll go back to verse 18, you will see that he met the 11 men. He had told them them to go meet him on a certain mountain. And Jesus said to those men, All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go you therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, it's interesting, too, that you go back to Acts 1.8 is apparently the very last thing Jesus said to them on another appearance. When he says, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, You're going to receive power, and you're to be witnesses unto me, both Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, it's interesting. Jesus is focused on the the gospel. And he talks about, through his witnesses, getting it to the remotest part of the earth. And then in Matthew 28, he said, to all nations. Jesus wanted this gospel to go down every trail... Every little tribe, every nation, every people group, because he wanted every single person in the world to have the opportunity to respond to him. Now, men, do you realize that is your task if you're sitting here tonight? That is my task. If you're here a believer, I don't care where you live, what your job is. The task is we're to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. And as Gene Moore used to say, we don't just train a man to train a man to train a man. We train men who can go out and share this message and continue to train men to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. Do you realize what happens to men who never come to know Jesus? Do you have any idea the agony, the suffering they go through for all eternity? 
You know, some of you have been sick, and at times, you know, it's kind of bad, but we always have the hope that it'll get better. But do you realize that men who die without Jesus Christ spend eternity in fire, in agony, forever? And Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon them in the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how are someone to tell them? And how shall they tell them unless they're sent? And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings of great joy. So we have a message to give. And that's our job. And men, regardless of where we live or whatever we do, we have to keep in mind that it's our job to try to get this gospel on out to the ends of the earth. And men, that will not be easy. That's going to cost some people their life. We will not reach the Muslim world without without martyrs. We will not reach the world without it costing a lot of money. You know, I told some of you about a man a few years ago. Uh, I spoke at this conference a number of years ago, and I mentioned, you know what the biggest hindrance is for young Christians going to the mission field? Christian parents. A few months later, I had a young man to call me, and he said, my dad was here at that men, key men's conference years ago. When he heard that statement that night, God spoke to him. He said he left this conference that night. He drove many miles to go home. And when he got home, he told his daughter, he said, I want to ask your forgiveness. You've been wanting to go to the mission field, and I didn't want you to go. I want you to know... You have my blessings. I hope you will go. And she went to the mission field. And he's soon thereafter, and he said, God changed my dad's life. And he said, now, dad and mom are praying about going to the mission field. And you know, one of the things I think we ought to do in our churches, we ought to pray that God will call the young people, our sons and daughters, to go. I read recently where Don... Richardson, a man who had written the book The Peace Child, and he knows a lot of what's going on in the earth. And he said, in, we know that in just, for example, in Pakistan, there are over 10,000 schools where they're taking these young Muslim boys. And they don't want them to be around girls or anything right now. They're teaching them the greatest thing you can ever do is die for the Muslim faith. And these young men are being trained. And I wonder how many of our young men and women are being trained. And these people are willing to die and being taught it's a great thing to die. And we're not trying to do that which is foolish. But at the same time, we need to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. And men, it is so easy in America for us to become very comfortable. Now the way the gospel best travels, Jesus said, is through witnesses. And through disciple makers. And when he gave the great commission, he said, you teach them all I commanded you. And he had just finished commanding them to make disciples. And so every time a new convert, every time a person becomes a Christian, we ought to train him and start immediately trying to train him to be a disciple maker. And it's not God just wants a few disciple makers. That's what he desires for every single person. And every person that's a believer can be used of God in someone else's life to help them get on the road to making disciples. And you know, it's interesting. 
Jesus, you see this in Matthew 18, and you see it also in Acts 1. After Jesus gave the Great Commission, and after he told the disciples in Acts 1 to be witness to the remotest part of the earth, 11 men. Now remember, when he gave the Great Commission, he gave it to 11 men. These 11 men, he says, you go to all the nations of the world. How could they do that? They had to multiply for that to happen. But he wanted that message to get out to every person. Now, it's interesting that when he gave that great commission, then he left. You see that in Acts 1. He tells them to go to the remotest part of the earth. And then it said, he ascended into the clouds. When he gave the great commission, he didn't stay around and tell them how to do it. He basically gave them the great commission and said, bye. He didn't have to tell them how to do it. They knew how to do it. They'd lived with him for about two and a half years. And they knew what to do because they'd watched him do it. Now, men, you know some things to do. And you can find other men. And there may be someone your own age and you don't want to just go to him and say, Hey, I want to disciple you. He may look at you and think, Well, who do you think you are? But you could go to him and say, Hey, I want to grow. Would you like to grow? Why don't we get together and pray and let's share the word together and you begin to help him to grow and you begin to take some leadership. And I want to challenge us tonight to look at the way we live. Are we living to help this gospel reach the utmost parts of the earth? If we're to fulfill the commands and thereby bring the utmost glory to him, we have to take a serious look at a few things. One, we have to look at our vision. Men, we have to fight to keep our vision clear. And our task is to obey Acts 1.8 and Matthew 28. We're to help get this gospel to the remotest part of the earth, to every nation, every people group. And that's what Jesus told his disciples to do. And this is a task he gave us. He clearly told us he would empower us. And it's interesting, when he gave the Great Commission, he starts out by saying, I have all authority, all power. He gives a Great Commission and he said, I'll always be with you. And he bookends that great commission. We know he will provide the power and he will provide, he will always be with us. Do you know, guys, when you sit down and meet with a guy to try to disciple him, do you know that you have the authority and the power of Jesus Christ behind you? And do you know also that he is with you? He promised that. When we go to make disciples, that he would enable us, he will empower us. Now, guys, that doesn't mean you always know what to do. I told you the story earlier about a young guy that became a Christian, and I go by and shake his hand in church, and I want to meet with him. I want to disciple him. And so I meet with him. And I'm going to meet with him every day for 30 minutes. And boy, I'm telling you, after about four or five days, it really got dry. I didn't know what I was going to do. And sometime I'd see him come, and I'd say, Oh, God, what am I going to teach him today? And, you know, I'd share with him, and we'd open the Bible, and we'd read some verses. And then a number of years later, his pastor called me, and he said, You know, Max, I've never had another member of my church ever of all the years I've pastored like this guy. Because he knew how to witness, knew how to memorize verse. And, you know, we stumble along. I meet with guys to this day I don't always know what I'm going to do. Because you don't know what his questions are. You don't know where he is. So you pray, and it keeps you 
trust in the Lord. But guys, let me tell you, when you meet with guys, if you will meet with them, you're going to be amazed at the way God's going to come through. And if you think the guys up here like John Crawford and the people who have been speaking to you, you got it all together, friend, you don't know how they pray. And you don't know what they tell Jesus because they don't feel like they've got it together. I don't know anybody that feels like they've got it together. But fellas, when you meet with guys, you're going to be amazed at what God does through your life to help other people. You know, I had a young guy that came to me recently. He said, Max, do you think it's possible to lose the vision? And you know, some people say, well, maybe it is. And I think when Lauren Sanny said something to Dawson about that, didn't he say, well, if you lose it, I'm not sure you ever had it? Well, I don't know, but I want to read you something. This recently came out in her Baptist paper. Now, I know more about Baptists than others, so I can criticize them, okay? Because I'm planning to die one. I want to ask you a question. How many Southern Baptists does it take to to enroll one person in Sunday school in one year? How many Southern Baptists does it take to enroll one person, one new person in Sunday school in a a year? You want to guess? Ten? Twenty-five? One? One? Well, let's just say, if you said 10, 25, 40, can you imagine it even taking 50? If you guessed any of these numbers, you would be very, very wrong. You know what the average is for the past 50 years? It takes 400. 400 Southern Baptists to have a net increase of just one person in Bible study. Now, no matter how you paint this picture, it's a picture of decline. During the past 40 years, the enrollment of children in Sunday school has dropped, now this was in Southern Baptist, 1.4 million to 979,000. That's a decrease of 32% in the last 40 years, while an increase in the nation Population has gone up 46%. Last year, there were 9,000 Southern Baptist churches that did not baptize one single person. Not even better with the Methodists, guys. (laughs) Why is this? Well, one of the things is our nation is becoming urban and less rural in its population growth. Many of our churches and many of us came from little rural areas, but fellas, America is basically becoming urban. And the more urban it is, and in the more urban areas, is where there are less of the people being reached for Jesus Christ. You know, at one time, America was a melting pot. You know, you can go to Germany and you'll never be a German Only one country I know of, you can come to America from any country in the world and you can become an American. And America was a melting pot. People came and, I mean, if we talk to you today, some of your parents from England and and all over the world, Germany and different places, Russia, all over the world, some of you right here, your descendants, we came from everywhere. But you know, today in America, it's no longer a melting pot, it's a mosaic. 
and here's the, here's the population of the Asians over here, and, and here the Vietnamese over here, and, and here. I mean, it's no longer a melting pot, and they're bringing their religions with them. When I was a boy, you were either a Christian or a non-Christian. You may not be a Christian, but that was the only other option. But today, there are all kinds of options. And you might find a student on the college campus that has some interest in spirituality, but it may be in Buddhism or Hinduism or all kinds of stuff. And fellas, we are fast losing our world. You know, I was with Josh McDowell. We were doing a meeting together in Grand Junction, Colorado, and Josh has written a book called The Last Christian Generation. And he told me, he said, you know, I didn't want to write that book, but I felt like I had to write it. And he said, when I wrote the book about the last Christian generation, he said, I'm not talking about the kids today. The last Christian generation are the parents. It's you people. Because the kids aren't Christians. And there's some of them that are raised in your home and in your churches that are, but largely we are fast losing this nation. And our kids today, less than 7% of the young kids in America have anything to do with Christianity. Here's a book I'd highly recommend you read. You can't say it very well, but it's Unchristian by David Kinnaman. I want to read a thing or two to you. He said, especially the younger adults today have very little trust in the Christian faith. Here was a young man that was with a Christian organization, had a very good salary, but he was very concerned about what he saw with the young people. So he, he gave up his salary and he went and lived in, among them and talked with them for three years. And then he and another fellow with the Barna Group wrote this book. He said, especially young adults have very little trust in Christianity, and they esteem, and their esteem for the lifestyle of Christ's followers is quickly fading among outsiders. They admit their emotional and intellectual barriers go up when they're around Christians, and they reject Jesus because they feel rejected by Christians. Now, the Christians today, when you walk by a young person and he has purple hair, orange hair, and his face looks like he just fell in a tackle box. <laughs> and you, <clears throat> you see two Christians walking along, and you watch him walk by, and they'll look at each other and grin, and he knows about that. He knows he's not accepted. He knows that we really don't care that much about him. Young fellow that right now that's a missionary, that they're missionaries in China and they're staying in their home for while they're on furlough for a while. And last Sunday he was in a church. And they go out to eat afterwards and they go to this restaurant. And this young guy, the waiter comes up with a, bottle of wine and he says do y'all want wine and one of the guys says well can't you see we just came from church he said man I wanted to die what a testimony to that young man said he felt embarrassed he didn't know what to do 
Let me tell you, a lot of people are not impressed with our Christianity. They think Christians no longer represent Jesus, what Jesus had in mind. That Christianity in our society is not what it was meant to be. They think Christian faith looks weary and threadbare to them. And they can't seem to get to Jesus because of the baggage that surrounds Him. And I could read on and on of some of the things. Let me read another thing or two to you. Young people engage in a nearly constant search for fresh experiences and new sources of motivation. They want to try things out themselves. They have a disdain for the self-proclaiming expert and for the talking head presentation. It's something that doesn't work for them. For if they're permitted, they want to participate in the process. They quickly move on to something that grabs them. They prefer casual and comfort, comfortable to the stuffy and stilted. They view life in a nonlinear, chaotic way, which means they don't mind contradictions and ambiguities. They may tell someone what that person hears, but they do whatever they desire. Now, a lot of these young people could be reached, and they would love for someone to show an interest in them. But he said, you know what we found in our study? We found that many Christians have lost their heart for those outside of the faith. They do, And he said, unless we deal with our own problems, we will fail to connect with this generation. A new generation is waiting for us to respond. Now, man, we have to begin to do some thinking about how do we reach the younger generation because we are missing them. You know, we need to look at our focus. Where's God placed us? Where do you live? And we need a bifocal vision. Wherever we will live, we must constantly be about the task of evangelism and helping the people around us become more Christ-like and become disciple-makers. You know, all of us I know, and as you as laymen, you feel like sometimes there's a lot of mundane things in life. But you know, during the mundane things in life, you can walk with Him. And you can know that you're having a part in advancing the kingdom. Now, where do we start? We start where we are. We start with the people around us. Helping them to know Christ. Helping develop them as followers. Helping develop them into disciple makers. Now, are we living to help as many people as possible come to know Christ? That He might receive the reward of His death for them? Are we seeking to help people all around us? come to know Him, and become disciple-makers. You know, there's a real danger. We can live like so many Americans just to make a comfortable living for us and our family, to use our resources primarily for us. You know, I know of a pastor in California, and they were thinking about building a $34 million building, and then he took a group of his elders overseas, and they began to see some needs, and he came back and he thought, we're not going to do that. We're going to have a little amphitheater out here, and they may get wet some Sunday, but we're going to give our money away, and we're going to try to do something to reach the world. And that church gives over 55% of what they get give to help reach other people. We've got to do some serious thinking about the way we live. 
And we certainly need to work, make money for our family. Many things make up our lives, hauling kids to ball games, other activities. But even as we're taking them to ball games, we can be praying God will work in their life to help them become a part of advancing the kingdom. There are many things we have to do, like sorting through the mail, paying the bills, checking the emails, answering the phone, going to meetings. We have to mow the lawn, fill the car with gas, paint the house, do some things our wives won't done, we probably would leave undone. <laughs> you know, the paint in the bedroom looks fine to me, and the old couch still is usable. But I don't know if you notice, we all live with a creature of finer taste. <laughs> and there are things we have to do in life, but you know, it's a joy to know that even in the mundane things of life, God sees them as significant. And He directed Paul to write in 1 Corinthians 10.31, where you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even eating, eating and sleeping can be done to His glory as we're refreshed and reminded of His goodness and providing for our needs for rest and food and getting us ready for what lies ahead. So men, every day of our lives can count for the glory of God and we can learn to walk with fellowship in fellowship with Him. And you can stop at a red light and pray for the guys in the car next to you. We can learn to fellowship with the Lord and we can learn to spend a whole lot more time in prayer than we do. And we can learn... To make disciples in the life where God has placed us. You know, Jesus thoroughly understands our frustrations with the things that require time when we'd rather be doing things, other things. You know, Jesus' life was filled with interruptions, people wanting his time, demanding his time. On one occasion, he said to his disciples in Mark 6.31, Let's go to a deserted place and they had no leisure so much as to eat and let's go get some rest. So they get in a boat and they're going across the Sea of Galilee to go seek some solitude just to be alone. The people see them get in the boat. They know they're going to the other side so they run around the end of the lake. And so when the boat pulls up, there are all these people waiting. Boy, I can imagine. I bet the disciples were ticked. (laughs) You know, I can imagine Peter saying, I thought we were going to get some rest. However, Jesus had a different attitude. You know, I imagine he was as tired as any one of those disciples, or probably more so. But Jesus said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. It's too late to send them to the surrounding villages to get something to eat. So he said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Then he broke the fish and the bread and he fed them. And then he told the tired disciples to pick up the leftovers. And guys, there's sometimes I know in life you get very, very tired of things that God asks you to do. But you know the only way you develop endurance you have to endure some things. I mean, all of us would like to be men of great endurance, but there are times that we have to move on. And you know, Jesus realized that his time was coming and John had just been beheaded and he was on his way to the mountain to pray. 
And it was at that time that he stopped and fed the 5,000. And he had interruptions, but it didn't deter him from going ahead with what he had planned to do. So after he fed those disciples and sent them away, he went on up into the mountain to pray and came walking on the sea after 3 o'clock in the morning. And sometimes in order to get beyond the things that crowd in on your day, you may have to stay up late to pray. You may have to get up early. But Jesus would not be deterred from that which He thought was most important. Now what does it take to deter us from doing those things that are most important? What does it take to interrupt your day so you don't get to spend any time reading the Bible and praying? Are you willing like Jesus? Going away to rest? Stopping to feed 5,000? Preaching to them? Teaching them? But then staying up late to go ahead and do what he thought was most important? You know, wherever God's placed us, we can obey Him and we can make a difference. Now, one thing we do, we keep that looking at the ends of the earth and we pray for China. I had a young fellow a number of years ago, and may I told you the story, how he flying out of Hong Kong, he looks back at China and thinks, oh God, and he had ridden a train through that country and spent a, a week riding on a train through China and saw the masses of people and thought, oh God, what can I do? And God spoke to him and said, if you'll begin to pray, you can have a ministry in China if you'll pray. And he said, I started every day working in my schedule, and I started praying. I tried to pray an hour day for China. You know, I know since then that Baptist student directors had over 200 of his students to go to China. And I remember one the first time they went, nobody's converted the second year, no one, and I was at the campus recently. And a girl came back and just been there and said, recently they've had 50 Chinese students to meet the Lord because they kept going and they kept praying. And so we look to the ends there. And guys, look at the talents and the abilities, opportunities God's given you. Some of you can take mission trips and go someplace and be a tremendous help. Short-term mission trips and other ways. So you're always looking for that way to have a ministry that's a little bit out of the line of what you normally do of just meeting with guys. But fellas, we don't neglect the meeting with guys day after day after day. Because that's normally where you live, and that's normally what you can do day after day. You know, I love to tell the story about the little boy on the beach. One day he's there, and all these starfish are washed up on the beach. I mean, there are thousands of them. It just litters the beach. And this little old kid is walking along, and he knows those starfish are going to die if they don't get back in the water pretty soon. So he's picking up starfish, and you pick one up, and you'll throw it in the water, and he'll pick up another one. And a man stand over watching him. And he watches for quite a while. And then he comes over to the little boy and he says, do you realize that you cannot make a difference? Have you looked at this beach? Do you see how many starfish there are? Son, you can't make a difference. And the little boy picked up a starfish, threw it back in the water and said, boy, I sure made a difference for that one, didn't I? <laughs> and then he just kept picking them up and throwing them back in. Guys, 
don't get overwhelmed when we see the masses. And sometimes I look around, I can walk over on the campus where I serve, and I see students I've never seen before. And you look around and you see the masses of people, and we pray and we'll try to look for ways we can help. But you know, you can be like that little old boy. You sure can make a difference for this one. And you make a difference for that one, and you help him, and he make a difference in another life, and then he can make a difference in another life, and they're told, no telling how many people, just as a result of the people in this room, can someday spend eternity with Jesus because you prayed, you raised your family, you answered the mail, you painted the bedroom for your wife and you did buy her a new couch and you go through the mundane things of life and sometimes it gets pretty mundane, but the whole time you're looking, you're trying to find somebody you can help. And guys, you can make a difference in somebody's life. You know, I remember this couple lived over here in Frederick, Oklahoma, James and Linda Redeker. He was a farmer. And then the day came, he was a school teacher and a principal, and then he retired. He could have just done what most people do when they retire and just sit around, but they decided to go to Thailand. And over there, there's a building, a student center, the Baptist have, and students pour in there all day long. And they sit around and talk to students. Got an email from him recently. There's a lady that's 80 years old, been over there helping them. Said she sits in that student center all day and talks to students. Said, Max, if we had somebody, you could send somebody over here and they could probably lead two or three students to the Lord every day. Because students pour in here. They study English and they want somebody to talk to English. And we just have Bible studies. You can sit around and have Bible studies all day long. And I just think, you know, here's a couple of retired. It's amazing what you can do after you retire if somebody doesn't have to pay you. And there are things that you can do. And we can all be givers. Some of you can be great givers to the kingdom. There are a lot of college students that like to go overseas on, in the summer and teach English and hang around with students. We have some of them we send every summer and they'll spend two hours a day on the campus teaching English and they spend the rest of the day just hanging out with the students and they get to share Jesus with them. And you can help them go. So there are things we can do. So we have to look at our vision. We have to look at our focus. And guys, we have to look at our commitment. You cannot read the Bible and read what Jesus said without seeing that sometimes the price is high. Luke 14, Jesus, a group of people are following Him and He turns to the multitude going along with Him and He said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yea, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Now, what did Jesus mean about hate your family? We know from other places He doesn't want you to hate your mother and your father. People during that day well understood that because that's a comparison. And anything that was not first, they would refer to as hate. And Jesus clarifies that very, very well in Matthew 10, 37, when He says, If you love your father and mother more than me, 
are your sons or daughters more than me? Then you're not worthy of me. And so he does not want any family relationship to be more important. And I've lived long enough to see people make mistakes in that area. I've seen young people make mistakes in that area when it came to dating. A number of years ago when I was in Dallas doing student work and God was blessing and we had some people coming over. I was at the med school and nursing school. We had them coming over from some of the other med schools where I wasn't director in the nursing school because they wanted to be a part of what was going on. And I began to ask some of the students, why? Why would you come over here when you have a BSU over there? And I found out why. When that director was in college, one day he went, later when he was in seminary, he went to a chapel service, and God spoke to him about being a missionary. And he was dating a very beautiful girl. So he went to her and said, God has called me to be a missionary. And they were engaged, about to get married. She said, I'm not going to any mission field. She said, there's plenty to do in America. And if you go to the mission field, you're going to go without me. So he decided he wanted the beautiful girl instead of obeying the Lord. And so he married her. I remember sometime after these students kept coming, one night I saw him at church and he said, Max, I want to tell you something because you're going to hear it otherwise. He said, my wife is leaving me. And I thought, you know, he made the wrong choice. And guys, sometimes Gene Moore used to say, you know, your wife is wired up to test you. (laughs) You know, sometimes here's a guy and maybe... His wife doesn't want to move a certain place. I remember Waylon Moore saying one time, you know, I always thought a wife ought to be portable. <laughs> but when she gets a house just like she wants it and thinks, uh, or here's another guy and he has to go to a certain place, he has to raise his support, and, and sometimes he gets a little static from his family on that one or whatever. Guys, we have to be careful that we love Jesus above all relationships and that we take the stand we need to take and others will follow us. You know, sometimes people make that mistake over money. The rich young ruler did that. Came to Jesus and when Jesus told him to go give away all that he had, now Jesus didn't tell everybody that because that wasn't everybody's problem. And there's not anything wrong with money. And I hope some of you make a whole lot of it and give a lot of it to Jesus. But you know, Jesus said, you go give all that you have away. Give up all your possessions and give to the poor. You know why he told him to do that? Because that's the thing that'd keep him from ever coming back and following Jesus. Now, I wonder, the Scriptures say he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. I don't know how long it takes to get very rich. I mean, for me, it's after 72, but I don't know for a lot of people. (laughs) But let's suppose that that young man was, say, 30 years of age. You know what Jesus told him? You go sell all you have, 
all your possession, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And you'll have riches in heaven. And he went away sad because he was very rich. I wonder how long that guy got to keep his riches. wonder if he lived to be 70. Boy, he got to count his sheep for another 40 years. And think of what he lost out on. The joy he could have had of giving it away. And then getting to follow Jesus. And then riches in heaven that last forever. And he gave them away because of what he wanted here on earth. Men, we have to watch out for that. Because we live in a culture where that's a big deal. Before Jesus started that passage in Matthew 10 about loving your father and mother, he says, a man's enemies shall be those of his own household. We have to watch that. You know, men, we've come in America to where a a decision to accept Jesus and following Jesus, we think, is the same thing. And there, I saw a survey recently that Barna and a group had done of people who claimed to be born again in America that have questions if God exists. And a lot of people in America say they've accepted the Lord. But Jesus didn't say so much about just accepting Him as He did about following Him. And we need to help people be followers of Jesus Christ. Men, are you committed to Jesus Christ to walk with Him, to give your life to making disciples? to trying to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. I want to close with this. There was a young man by the name of Bill Borden. Some of you may have read the book, Borden of Yale. When Bill Borden, he was from a very, very wealthy family. When he graduated from high school, he decided he was going to go all out for God, and so he wrote, No Reserves. I'm going to go all out. No reservations. I'm going all out for God. He went to Yale University and he inherited, was an inherit, had a tremendous inheritance. And while he was at Yale University, he tried to be a great witness and when he graduated, he gave away his entire fortune and decided he wanted to go help reach the Muslims. And so upon graduating from Yale, he wrote these words, no retreat. I'm going to the mission field. I'm going to give away everything I have. No retreat. He sailed to Egypt to begin to learn the language. A young man about 20 years of age. He went to Egypt, began to learn the language, and he contacted Spinal meningitis, and within a, in a month, he was dead. When they were going through his things, they found written in his Bible, he had written one more no. And before he died, he had written no regrets. No reservations, 
no retreat, no regrets. Now, men, we've heard a lot at this conference. What are you going to do about what you've heard? Did God say something to you about your quiet time? Then be obedient to start having a quiet time. Were you challenged to memorize verses so you know what God said? Then begin to do that. I want to just challenge you as you walk day by day. Everything you do, you try to do for the glory of God. And wherever you live, guys, you try to build into the lives of people around you. Look at the young people that are in your community. What would it take for you to begin to reach some of them? What can you help your church to do to begin to do some things that would help pave the way so some of those young people could become Christians? And you know what a lot of them say? They would love the fact if somebody really cared for them and would mentor them and talk to them. And somebody that wouldn't be afraid of them and they wouldn't feel judged but somebody would get to know them and help them. So men, whatever God said to you, I'd like for you to take just a few minutes and pray. Pray about what you can do when you go home, when you leave this place. And let's take a few minutes to pray. Father, you know there's not a one of us here tonight that feels worthy of what you've done for us. Father, there's not a one of us feel like we've got it all together and we know exactly how to be a great trainer of men. But Father, You promised to provide the power. You promised to be with us. You commanded us to do it. You didn't say it was for a select few Christians. It's what You intended for every Christian to build into the life of someone else and help them to grow. Help them to begin to get a heart for the world. And Lord, we know that that way the gospel can continue to spread. And we'll look at the fields far beyond where we are and we'll pray. And we'll give and we'll try to do what we can. But God, would you help each of us day by day to walk with you, trusting you with all our hearts. And Father, you know what a sorry lot we are. And it grieves us when we read in Genesis and when you looked at man and said, you're sorry that you made man. Because we so went into sin, but Lord, you sent your Son and you could let us just go on. But Jesus Christ redeemed us. He now indwells us. He is with us. We're workmen together with Him. And Father, would you take our lives, every one of us, lead us in our families, lead us with our children, Lead us with our wise Father. Lead us with the men that we try to help. Lead us in our churches. Lead us with the people at work. God, would you bring people around us that would respond, that we really could help people to go on to become disciple makers, that we really could get this gospel to the remotest part of the earth, to all the nations, We would long for people to know the joy and what we've experienced in you and what we've experienced this weekend.
So, Lord, as best we know how, we yield our lives to You and ask that You use us to bring the greatest honor and glory possible while we live on this earth. And when we're gone, that there will be people that will continue until Jesus comes as a result of the men in this room. Because we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.